Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Thursday Morning Report. This was a project I did a few years back in partnership with Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, where I volunteered as an engineer, host, and producer. Enjoy this one-hour interview program that went out live over the radio on KZYX. If you like what you are hearing, you can check out my current podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on your favorite podcast hosting site, or find out more on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm also on Twitter at McKenty. If you want to support the program, look up The Shift on Patreon, or find it on the web at www.theshiftnow.com and click on subscribe. Subscribers receive access to full-length feature episodes of The Shift, as well as the membership forum, where members can engage in discussions and participate in the evolution of the show. Stay tuned for this episode of the Thursday Morning Report from KZYX Radio in Mendocino County, California. Stay tuned in just a few moments. I will be your host. My name is Doug McKenty. It's time for the Thursday Morning Report. This morning we'll be speaking with Wendy Priestnitz, the editor of Life Learning Magazine. You can check it out at lifelearningmagazine.com and the author of Challenging Assumptions in Education. Uh, this just kind of came to my attention last week. There were a couple of... Uh, um, on Democracy Now!, Amy Goodman was covering education in the United States. One thing that was covered was that British Petroleum has been involved in creating the environmental curriculum here in the state of California. Seemed a bit odd. And uh, another thing that Amy brought up was that uh, Obama's new education uh, ideas, the new education bill he wants to push, uh, was first apparently uh, introduced in Pinochet's Chile uh, back in the early 80s. So, I was thinking about this and wondering about other possible alternatives, uh, and I uh, was doing some research on the internet, and I came up with Life Learning Magazine, and here is the editor, Wendy Priestnitz. Wendy, are you here? Yes, I am. Hi, Doug. Hi. How's it going? Good, thanks. Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I was looking for alternatives to the sort of public education system, which seems to have gotten taken over on certain levels by corporate interests and other things. Uh, and uh, I came across lifelearning.com. Can you just uh, describe what life learning is for uh, our listeners, please? Well, yeah, life learning uh, really, in its in its essence, is a way of I think stripping education back to its basics. Uh, learning is really uh, only based on our interest or our needs. And, uh, you know, often in school, someone else tells us what to, uh, to think and what to study and what we might need to know just in case. But life learners, or as we're often called, unschoolers, have um, really taken a bit of a leap and trusted our kids to, uh, to learn what they need to know. We, we believe that, that they have an ability to learn what they need to know and don't need to be coerced. Um, you know, we help them learn how to walk and talk uh, as parents, and uh, we've discovered that they can learn everything else that they need to know about the world in the same way. So this is uh, it's a, a type of a homeschooling, but it's not curriculum-based. Yeah, I suppose in, in most places it does fall under the uh, homeschooling laws, whatever they might be in, in any state or, or country around the world. And um, I always say it's, it's that's the homeschooling part of it is is wonderful, but it's a bit of a misnomer because it doesn't look like school, and it's more community based. Certainly, in uh, in the from the perspective of unschoolers, you know, so they're not there with mom teaching them or dad teaching them at the kitchen table. They're learning from life. It, living is is learning, and and uh, you know, life is learning, and we're living we're learning as, as we as we live. Um, 
So um, that, that's, that's a, just a very different perspective than, than sort of the conventional homeschooling uh, way of thinking. Although, uh, you know, I homeschooled my kids, uh, quote-unquote, uh, my husband and I did back in the 70s when they're, they're now in their late 30s. And, and in those days, that's what homeschooling looked like was what we're talking about, life learning or, or unschooling, where you were just uh, opening the world up to your kids and they were involved in family, they were involved in community and uh, went out there and, and uh, pursued what it was that they were interested in. And, and you know what, they end up uh, <laughs> being pretty prepared to... Uh, pretty well equipped as adults. Right. So um, what are some of the challenges that you confront when you homeschooled your children? Did you, you, you uh, did this sort of unschooling uh, type, yeah. this life learning type as well. Yeah. yeah. And what were some of the challenges? Did you ever feel like, were you ever afraid that your kids were getting behind or, or, you know, were you concerned with trying to, to maintain a certain status quo as they got older? Yeah, I, I guess, um, <laughs> So much of, of what we're talking about depends on language, and, and when you talk about behind, well, behind what? If we're talking about behind where they might be if they were in the public education system, that's that's one thing. We didn't ever concern ourselves with um, whether they were going to go into grade 5 or grade 8 or whatever, and if they were equipped, we knew after the first few years that they were probably going to have some gaps in terms of what their peers in a in a school system might know, and, and then they might know lots of other things that those kids didn't know. So, no, that was never a concern for us that, that they would fall behind. Of course, often it's the uh, local public education system that is put in charge of homeschooling, mm-hmm. and so they're all concerned about that sort of thing. But we sort of felt that was a bit of a lowest common denominator, and that wasn't really an issue. I mean, back when we did it, this was before personal computers, uh, you know, there were lots of issues about just getting kids to the library and transporting right. them to their friends, and, you know, it's a whole different world in terms of communications than it, than it is now. Um, one of the big criticisms when discussions about unschooling come up always have to do with, well, you know, how are these kids going to fit into the real world? Meaning, I don't know, the real world's some horrible place where you have to work really hard and, uh, you know, you can have to get ahead and it's competitive and, and so on. And I, I think the real world, if we're looking at it as the working world, is, is changing quite rapidly right now. And uh, we don't really know what uh, young kids are going to to have to deal with uh, 10 or 15 years down the road. But what happens, um, you know, and I always say to people who are concerned about that, is that these kids tend to be pretty uh, well-equipped. They're motivated. They they haven't been told, you know, to sit down and listen in school. They're they're active learners. And when you have that, that active learning mindset, you're able to go out there and, and learn what you need to learn. If you find there was a gap in your education, you can find somebody that'll mentor you or, or, you know, somebody that can help you learn what you need to learn. You can take a course, and of course now a lot of the uh, course material is available on the Internet if you can't go to the, the institution. But I, I, so much of what we talk about, I think, has to do with the fact that our whole, we went to school, you know, all of us mm-hmm. went to school. And I think um, one of the things parents have to do when they start this, this style of living with their kids is kind of de-school themselves. They have to get rid of the all those the things that are sort of lurking there in their mind. And, and, you know, our society is really based on a lot of things like credentialism and adultism, and um, a lot of people seem to think that kids are inherently bad, or if not bad, at least unmotivated and not curious. 
Uh, we also have this odd thing, um, and I think it's part of our mentality about the working world, is that people only will work if you uh, put a carrot in front of them. They'll only work for a reward. Mm. Um, we think that learning is hard. All these sort of notions are embedded in our own school experiences. And so if we challenge some of those things, which is what I did in, in my book, Challenging Assumptions in Education, if we, if we look at all those issues and, you know, they're not really true. Uh, kids are inherently motivated. They come out of the womb curious and exploring and, you know, wanting to learn about the world around them. Anybody who's got a two-year-old will know that they ask lots of questions based on that curiosity. So for some reason, we think that, you know, once they turn four or five, they're not able to learn that way anymore. And we we need to uh, take over and, and, and show them the way, which is what unschooling families discover is, is not true at all. I uh, I think about that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the phrase "children should be seen and not heard." Oh yeah, my mother told me. I, exa- I know that's right. You know, my my parents uh, would say that, and and I think that that I, I was as I was reading some of the stuff about life learning, I was really thinking like, um, y- you know, a lot of it is just about having respect for the for the kids and their point of view. I mean, when you have this, it's almost well. I, in fact, I think I came across the word adultism in in uh, on I, your I, website. That's like yeah. uh, racism against kids. You know, everybody thinks that somehow uh, adults have figured it all out, and the kids have to do what the adults tell them. But really, you, you know, it's a different point of view to say, "Well, I respect the child's point of view, and uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, help help the child pursue what they'd like to pursue." Sure. And I mean, obviously, as an adult, um, we have a little more wisdom about some sorts of things. I wouldn't let my child run out in front of a truck to right. experience <laughs> that, right? But, um, you know, given our, our uh, caretaker responsibilities, which is, is sort of assumed that, that that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, yeah you know, and, and life learners have, have discovered that it certainly makes life a lot uh, more fun <laughs> to be able to... Oh, it's uh, blown, it, it blows me away. Uh, at being able to hang out with with my kids and, and really listen to them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, another thing that popped into my mind, I think I remember hearing a statistic. This was probably ten years ago or fifteen years ago. That was something like the average parent spends fifteen minutes of quality time with their kid every day. Um, yeah, and you know, now that my kids are are in their late thirties and live halfway across the continent, mm-hmm. I sure am glad that I spent more time than that with them when they were little. Um, because it, it's um, just on a very selfish level. <laughs> and right. I'm really glad that I did that. And, and certainly I, I think, and they tell me that they were glad that uh, they had that sort of upbringing too, where we could actually talk to each other and, and share ideas. And, and uh, there's there's a huge amount of, of learning in that. But, you know, the whole idea of having fun with your kids, I think, is is one of the issues that comes up when I talk to people about unschooling because I think there's a resentment there that's part of the criticism of what we're talking about because it looks like these kids aren't doing anything sometimes. I mean, they're playing, for heaven's sakes. You know, they're having fun. They're very concentrated in it, and, and uh, you know, it, I don't know, it's a bit of a discussion about what the definition of the word play is. Mm. But um, I think adults, you know, are feeling we're working longer, we're working harder, in order to maybe stay in the same place. And, and, you know, the education system and the government, the message from them is that you have to do more of it. You have to do it longer. Education, kids have to go to school longer, you know, longer hours, uh, more days of the year. 
So if we just do more of it, we'll somehow get better at it. Mm-hmm. When uh, unschoolers are challenging that by saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe that's the wrong way of looking and there is another way of looking at it and we can we can still be very successful. And I think that, you know, maybe there's a fear that uh, if we're working hard, then we'll have to support those other kids who aren't working hard. They, they just don't understand what... Um, where learning comes from. It's like maybe we've got that, you know, Puritan work, work ethic right. in ourselves still. Well, let me take a moment, Wendy, just to remind everyone the time is now 9.16. You're listening to the Thursday Morning Report right here on KZYX. I'm your host, Doug McKenty, and I'm speaking with Wendy Priestnitz, the editor of Life Learning Magazine. You can check that out at lifelearningmagazine.com and also the author of her most recent book, Challenging Assumptions in Education. We're talking about life learning, also known as homeschooling, uh, excuse me, unschooling, uh, a version of uh, homeschooling. Uh, that really relies on the uh, the children's point of view. It's sort of like the the teacher or the parent is uh, just there to help the help the child uh, explore what they'd like to explore. Um, you know, going back to that conversation about the real world, there's a lot of um, oh, just in the creation of the public education system, uh, a lot of the creation of that institutionalization. I think a lot of it has to do with the thinking that uh, people are going to grow up and get into corporate jobs and need to be in that kind of time schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how is it, you know, whereas unschooling is probably the, the exact opposite of that, where, you know, it's all kind of free, free flowing and, and free form, um, and I guess I wanted to discuss just a little bit that, that maybe the jobs in the future are going to be more like that. People are going to have to be more fluid and a little bit less structured if they're going to be able to uh, to uh, really make it in a world in a sustainable way, you know? <laughs> yeah, except that, that absolutely, Doug, I, and, and I'll address what you just said, but I, I don't want people to think that unschooling necessarily lacks structure. I think it lacks external structure. It lacks third-party structure. Um, some people like structure in their lives, and so they will create it for themselves. Uh, some people don't. But in terms of comparing it to the regular education system, yeah, it's it's uh, structureless in some ways. But but there is that uh, sense there that there is discipline. There's self-discipline that people put on on themselves. And and gosh, if you've ever watched a an unschooled kid who really is passionate about something, they will go at that thing for, for days, for hours. You know, they will, they will keep at it. They will structure some situation for themselves so that they can, they can pursue that passion and that interest. But yeah, I think you're, you're right. We are moving towards a new type of economy. We're probably already there and we're just, um, kind of experiencing the transition right now, which is never a, a pretty time. Um, we'll see probably uh, increasing numbers of underemployed, uh, well-educated people, you know, lots of PhDs that are underemployed out mm-hmm. there. Um, and that'll probably be the case for a number of years. But and it's, on the other hand, there's lots of work that, that needs to be done, and nobody's willing to do it, it seems, or or to pay enough for it. You know, there's lots of service jobs, there's lots of... Uh, Childcare jobs. There's lots of things in in the social areas um, that are needing crying out to be done. We have an aging society where elderly people need to be looked after and all that sort of stuff. So the the service economy there, unfortunately, has traditionally been a very low paid 
area of work. And, and so, you know, society is, is going to pedal hard for a few years, I think, to catch up to that. Um, that's what Richard Florida talks about in his book, The Great Reset, where he's saying, you know, we'll come out of this in, in some sort of good way, but it's painful while we're doing it. But what we're talking about is equipping kids who are learning now for for that future. So these kids um, are in school. They're still in, in many schools, too many schools, unfortunately, being uh, trained in the factory model. You know, they're learning to sit still all day. Mm-hmm. They're learning to do what other people tell them to do, uh, working with other people's curriculum materials and so on. And, and yeah, I, I think you're right that uh, life learners will um, be good in that entrepreneurial society. Uh, they will uh, be, they're creative often, creative thinkers, and by that I just don't mean the arts and crafts, although that too, but um, yeah, they're, they're going to uh, probably at least be able to reinvent themselves if if they didn't train for the right sort of job, because they have that flexibility, they have those research skills, they have that that broad interest in the world. Yeah, it's, it's um, it, it's a, it's a hard thing, you know, to to help people understand who've who've worked. Um, they 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 bought that, you know. They went to school, they went to university, they paid off the debt, they they got into a job, and they thought that was going to be a job for life because it used to be, uh, not anymore. And I think there's a lot of disappointed people and people who don't know how to go out and retrain themselves or how to get a new job or are just so devastated by the fact that it didn't work out the way they were told it was going to work out. And those are the people, unfortunately, often that I hear criticism from, too, and, and uh, mm-hmm. about doing things in a different way. So it's, it's um, You know, you have to de-school yourself. You have to, I'm talking about de-schooling society, um, but you know, we have to start with ourselves first and, and kind of move away from our own experience. And I used to say, you know, 20 years ago when I was talking about this and writing about this, I, I used to say, yes, this is, feels like utopia where everybody will, will learn, um, you know, in that way. Uh, now, of course, the Internet is allowing everybody to learn in that way. I used to say, yes, uh, it seems like utopia because the workplace will have to change so drastically. Well, the workplace is changing so drastically. So it, it does seem like in my lifetime now <laughs> we will we will maybe see the education system change too. And we see some little cracks here and there. Um, in it, you know, dino, I've always said dinosaurs uh, are quite noisy when they die, and um, some people would characterize the public education system as a bit of a dinosaur these days. So. It's nice to see that uh, some of us are, are, you know, bringing up a new generation. And in my case, you know, my kids now having kids, uh, the second generation that um, can deal with this, look at these problems a little differently. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the actual kind of education on the ground. In my experience, you know, one of the things that we've done, because part of the, the unschooling or the life learning, if you're not stuck to a certain curriculum, then I I feel like you have all kinds of options, um, and a lot of times we'll just find somebody in the community that's a great tutor, and maybe get a you know once a week tutor thing going for a while if the kid's into it. And so you know sometimes it gets more structured like that, um, and then at other times it really is almost like just trying to take the time out to play with the kids for for a half an hour here and there, and, and just do what they want. 
Um, so can you, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? The, the, the kind of like picking, being able to pick and choose. Some things are more structured, other things less. Um, you know, some, sometimes we'll have a, a literature tutor or something that tries to, to be a little bit more academically focused. Um, and other times it's, it's mostly, you know, just play. We found that, that our kids um, could drive that process. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, if there was something that... And we're not talking about not parenting here, right? We're talking about parents being with their kids on a day-to-day basis and being able to pick up on what the kids are interested in and sort of facilitate whatever it is that they want to pursue. And, you know, if the kids would, would be interested in something, uh, we would help them find whatever information they needed and gosh, it would have been great to have had the internet then, but we didn't. Um, so yeah, you know, they'd go out into the community and, and volunteer, uh, you know, various things like that. One of um, our eldest daughter, uh, she was about eight, I think, and uh, we were publishing a magazine in those days. We, we, My husband and I decided early on to both stay home with our kids, and in order to do that, we started a business, which got us into the publishing world. We we started a magazine in 1976 called Natural Life Magazine, which is still going strong all these years later. And um, so we were at home publishing a magazine, and uh, our eldest daughter, who was eight, decided, surprise, surprise, that she wanted to have a publication, too. So she started a newsletter, and it was called Kids Stuff, and it went out. She actually had subscriptions, had subscribers to it that she charged, and and she printed this thing off on a photocopier and sent it out to them four times a year, I think. And there was a huge amount of learning for her in that, if you think about it. You know, she had to figure out the math to to know uh, how much to charge to cover her expenses, and she wanted to make a little extra money on the side. She learned a bit of bookkeeping. by doing that and opened a bank account and had all that experience and she she was fascinated by the fact that you know she would have subscribers from around the world and so there was a place name on an address that she didn't recognize so she'd go to look it up on the globe or the atlas and then she'd be interested we'd go to the library and now she would just google it um, so, you know, that experience of running that business, I mean, she runs her own business now, so, right. <laughs> it, so the, you know, the entrepreneurial part of it was good too. Um, but, you know, there were sort of more of some of the very academic things that we put into these slots that we call history and math and, and art and, and all those things. Um, she was covering those on a sort of a holistic basis as she was learning. And she kept that up for, for I don't know, four or five years. Um, as a subscription hey. publication. And, and uh, so there was, you know, it wasn't sort of a whim that she just kind of was playing with. It was it was something that she continued. And um, she and her sister, they were, I think, 12 and 13, decided uh, they got interested in, in the news stuff that was happening about uh, nuclear war. And we were a bit of, uh, you know, activists in, in uh, the anti-nuclear in the peace uh, movement, and uh, mm-hmm. so they read the book uh, Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes, and then they realized that the uh, 40th anniversary, I think it would have been, of the bombing of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki was coming up, so they wrote a little play based on the book, uh, went to the local library, rented a room, um, got a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, most of them who went to school, uh, to practice and put this play together, uh, sent out press releases to the local media, had like six minutes on the national uh, news 
the night of, of the, um, the anniversary. And, uh, you know, you can't tell me there wasn't a lot of learning went on in that too. Yeah. Cool. And, and, but it, that's not why they did it. They didn't learn. It wasn't a school project. It wasn't something that we told them to do. It was just, a, you know, it was an important part of being in their community. And, um, that was how their education looked. Well, I noticed, uh, I think maybe we could combine a little bit of this uh, this conditioning aspect, this de-schooling of all the parents, even uh, with the, the the idea that this uh, life learning process is is integrated and holistic, as opposed to, I mean, isn't that what we have to we have to decondition our minds in a sense from from dividing the world up into all these different things? <laughs> yeah, we, we're and, good at that because we all went to school. Exactly. You no, know, and academics like to sort. I mean, and that's obviously if you're getting really deep into a subject when you're at the at the post grad level, you know, you are going to segment things. You're going to take some little tiny thing that you're interested in and, and specialize in it, and that's fine. But it, certainly, um, as kids. Uh, I don't think we need to to say, okay, you know, this is called math and this is called science, and and sometimes the differences between those things are a little irrational. Anyway, they they do cross boundaries, mm-hmm. and but we do we like to sort things and and label things, and uh, I guess that's a way of controlling the world, right? And then you get you know, then you can place a value judgment on it, so something is better than something else, and. Mm-hmm. The next yeah. thing you know, you've got a curriculum that's telling everyone that they need to learn this, or, or else they're going to be, you know, dumb or stupid or left out. <laughs> that's right, and and really, how absurd is that? You right, know, <laughs> think that we can present all of the knowledge in the world uh, in the, some nice little package. I think all we can hope to do is is make sure that our kids realize that you know there is a lot more out there. And give them the tools to to go out and uh, and find that when they need to, or or when they're interested in in finding that out. You know, and that's the only kind of learning that sticks. I mean, we kid ourselves about about testing and and more testing and and querying kids. And I think even a lot of homeschoolers do it. We do it as adults. We want to get inside kids' heads and look to see what's stuck. So we ask them questions that we already know the answers to, you know, <laughs> yeah. to quiz them. Um, and that's really what we're doing when we test them in, in school. And, and, okay, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of accountability involved there, although I don't even think that's true for taxpayers' money. But it doesn't help the learning. And, and you know, those kids are memorizing that stuff. And the schools that do really well, well, they got really good memorizers in that school. I, the things that we remember from from our schooling, we may, maybe little bits and pieces of the multiplication table or, or whatever, but you know, it's it's other things that we picked up there, and sometimes those were bad habits that we picked up. Yeah, there. well, a lot of the socialization, mm-hmm. I, I think, and that whole aspect of of being in in a in a social situation constantly with only people of your own age, especially during the teenage years. That, that you having, end up told to have to compete with them as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you don't you know, have any adults in your scene, and uh, you know, we, we have to unlearn a lot it, of that. It's Lord stuff. of the Flies. <laughs> there, there's a whole, uh, you know, therapy uh, industry around helping, oh. <laughs> helping us unlearn a lot of that stuff that we learned in in school. Some of those attitudes. Yeah. All right, Wendy, give me a second to do a station break here. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, this is the Thursday Morning Report right here on KZYX. I'm your host, Doug McKinty. This morning I'm speaking with Wendy Priestnitz, the editor of Life Learning Magazine. 
Uh, check it out at lifelearningmagazine.com and the author of Challenging Assumptions in Education. We're talking about life learning or unschooling. Um, you know, I guess one other thing. Oh, well, it's getting past halfway through the program, so I'll go ahead and give out the phone numbers. If anyone has a question for our guests, go ahead and call up and we'll start uh, accepting that. 895-2448 will get you in here uh, for the last part of the program. Uh, if you have a question, please call up. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you, Wendy, while I have you here, uh, what about trying to, to form like a homeschooling collective or community collectives, you know, cause you want, I mean, in our, you know, you want the kids to be out hanging out with other kids, obviously having friends and there are other homeschoolers around, uh, and we do hang out with them, uh, a lot, you know, so the kids can play during school time and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But, um, at the same time, what I've discovered is that every homeschooling parent has a different philosophy, <laughs> you know, and so to try to really work together to try to maybe, uh, you know, I guess one of my, my thoughts is that, well, you know, I'm, I'm homeschooling my kids and I have a certain skill set, but my neighbor has an, a different skill set and maybe my kid can learn from, you know, from those people. Uh, but it's difficult to, to, you know, to form that kind of a tight community bond. Just because it's every you know everybody's own opinion on on how they should do it with their kids, and and some people have more structure and some have less, and so it's hard to find that that common ground. Yeah, it certainly is. It's certainly easier than it was uh, when we were doing it because there's a lot more people yeah. that are doing it. Um, I, yeah, I think I think there's a couple issues there, Doug. We need to ask you know what the goal is for this this group, and we don't get together and organize adult groups without a. A, a real stated purpose usually. Um, so I think, you know, we need to ask what what the goal is, what the need is, what problem are we trying to solve by organizing this thing? And if it's, if it's just, you know, because one or two kids have a specific interest in something and we're going to go out and find an adult who wants to to help them learn that, that's one thing. But if we say, okay, here I am and I can speak Spanish really well and I just want to find a captive group of unschooled kids to teach it. Right. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, I, I often, one of the columnists for Life Learning, Naomi Aldor, calls it teacheria. So we're teaching, it's a disease that as right. adults we have, <laughs> we, we want to teach. And some of us are, you know, more frustrated teachers than others. So I think you need to look at it from that perspective. If, if kids are expressing an interest in learning about something, then, hey, you know, let's network. And gosh, we can do that through the Internet and through lots of other ways to find some other people who are interested in doing that. And I think that might end up in, in short-term sorts of groupings of people, which might be easier to um to put together, and, and if there's no expectation that it needs to end up looking like a school, mm -hmm. um, that's probably the best way to go about it. So I always say, you know, go back and look at what we're trying to solve. If we're trying to solve something for me, or, you know, just looking for a break, are we looking for the sort of collective babysitting thing that schools do that unschooled families don't have? Um, that's fine, too. Um, but, you know, let's call it spade a spade, as it were, and, and and kind of admit that's what we're for. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really, really a, a laudable thing to, to see that kids, and maybe this is the only real um, need that there might be on a broad basis, is that kids have a peer group of unschooled kids. 
so that, you know, that's just one group that they're going to be part of in the community and in their lives. They'll be part of a sports team or part of um, a community group in some other way. But it's it's important to to feel that there are other unschooled kids out there, and, and that's fine. And then I don't know that it really matters about the the parents' philosophies, if the kids are just getting together to go to a museum together and do it. A lot of groups seem to be um, trip-oriented, you know, and they'll go to a museum or they'll go to a park or they'll they'll take a um, the opportunity to do something as a group that's harder to do as, as a, you know, have a baseball team, that, that sort of thing. Right. That's right. a good idea. I, I, those tend to be the things that, that work better um, rather than having them focused on a specific learning issue because that's when you, you get into, well, I like more structure. I don't want structure. I don't want to teach my kids. I want my kids to take a course. Um, our kids used to take a lot of uh, local courses, um, you know, things that were offered by the museum or the art gallery, those sorts of things. And That's how we've done it with our kids. We uh-huh. find sort of local things that are just going on if they have an interest in it, and we can, you know, do a course or, or hire that tutor for a little while or whatever, uh, and it seems to work pretty well. Yeah, I don't know that they have to be other uh, kids who don't go to school. I, I, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the same mentality as, I think, as putting kids in school uh, together so that they have socialization. Well, that's a forced socialization by the adults. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we need to be careful that we're not doing that as well with our with our unschooled kids and recognizing that, yeah, it's nice that they realize there's a peer group out there, but uh, let, let's not uh, force it uh, too much. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Wendy, I have calls coming in, so Great. Uh, let's see what the people have to say. Good morning. You're on the Thursday Morning Report. Good morning, Doug, Wendy. Um, I have two questions this morning. One, Wendy, you spoke about how um, your husband and you started a home business so that you could both be home with your children. Obviously, you know, in this situation, that's the ideal. Um, but maybe you could talk a little bit about parents where, you know, one or even both parent has to work, how this model of unschooling can be adapted for those situations. Um, and my second question, because when uh, I talk to people about homeschooling and especially unschooling, one of the main arguments that I come up against is, well, my kid would just sit around and watch TV all day or play video games all day. Um, so what, you know, what was your take or your philosophy on television, that kind of passive media, and, uh, and what do you think about that? Um, I will listen to... <laughs> okay, well, the working thing, right, yeah, thanks. I... You know, I think um, probably as many people have day jobs or night jobs or whatever uh, in the homeschooling community as uh, as ones that stay home. Although there does seem to be a lot of entrepreneurialism within the in the homeschooling community as well. But sure, um, families work it out however they can. I've certainly heard of even single parents, moms and dads, who are managing to. Uh, to structure their lives so that they do that. And again, and I'm not talking just about homeschooling here where it's an intense one-on-one with a one parent and one kid. The kids, and obviously this changes um, as they get older and, and more physically independent within the community, but they they do tend to, unschooled kids do tend to um, be out in the community as well. So uh, I know a lot of parents, uh, you know, where one parent will 
will work full-time. The other one will have a part-time job uh, or even, you know, sometimes it's hard to work at home with a kid around. Uh, so they balance, uh, you know, kind of working when the child's out doing something in the community uh, and uh, then have their own time. Um, some people, uh, you know, will we'll use um, a daycare situation. Uh, and again, it depends on the laws where you are, whether you can even do that or not. But it, it's certainly something that um, families work out really easily for themselves because don't forget, as the older these kids get, the more independent they become. So um, there's there's not that uh, need to, to kind of be there every minute to be sure that they're hitting the books, um, which kind of brings us to the, the second question that you had about, you know, will they sit around all day? The experience tends to be that when kids are brought out of school, when they've been in school for a few years, they become passive learners so that, you know, you get that thing over the summer. Parents hate to have their kids home because they're bored all the time because they don't know what to do. It's the same sort of thing when you take a child out of school who's been in school. They have to decompress. Um, They have to, and often they will spend weeks, months sometimes, um, sitting around all day and watching TV or playing video games if if they're available to them, just to to kind of... um, detoxify uh, from from that school experience, especially if they were taken out of school because it was a bad experience. Kids who have never been to school tend to just um, be interested in whatever's around them. And, and I know it's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand because they've only seen kids who are, you know, are bored by the beginning of August in, in the summertime. It takes but a kind of a leap of faith, really. And then, it, you know, really for a while... Isn't. Yeah. And then I, you know, and I've seen it, like you're saying, once you see it, then it's like, oh, well, kids really do do learn this way. <laughs> but yep. before that, you really have to just kind of go with it. It's, it's like we didn't teach them how to talk, but we we facilitated it, you know. Mm. We, we modeled it, so they wanted to do it. They were really eager to do it. We didn't test them, you know, to see if they were learning how to do it. Right. We didn't give them a textbook. We didn't sit them in front of a of a blackboard telling them how to move their voice box, you know, but they did it because they wanted to do it. And, and that tends, now not every kid's going to be really excited about math or not every kid's going to learn to read when they're four. It really is. And that's where the leap of faith, I think, that you talk about, Doug, yeah. and that, you, you know, you have to realize that it will happen at, at their own speed. Well, and, we, and we, can I, uh, can I just, yeah, go ahead. Uh, we had, I, my, my story about this was wild because uh, our son was about seven before he really kicked in the reading. And that was actually part of our, the reason why we started home or unschooling him was because at first, you know, he was four and we wanted to hit him with, you know, with the reading and we thought, oh, he can figure this out. And it was just such a struggle, you know, <laughs> we were finally like, well, uh, all right, let's just let it go and, and see where he wants to take it. And then, uh, you know, he hit he hit that point right where, and this happens to us so many times, especially with him. He's our oldest. Um, where right when we're starting to be like, oh man, you know, he really needs to know how to read, and he's getting a little bit, uh, you, you know, old or whatever. Uh, then suddenly he just like he hit it, and two weeks later he was reading. I mean, it was you know as soon as he decided that that's what he wanted to do, then it, it was just like boom. And now he's an avid reader, you know. There's a lot of uh, reading difficulties that happen because of the way kids are taught to read and because of the expectation that they're supposed to read in a certain way 
uh, at a certain time. Well, one of the uh, did I see the statistic that some fifty percent of of uh, um, American adults are functionally illiterate? Like they they really can they can read signs and such, but they can't uh, you know they can't sit down and read a book. Yeah, gosh, our school system did a great job. Uh, that's amazing. That. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, excuse me. <laughs> I'm, I'm interrupting. Well, no, that's, that's great. Um, the, you know, the comments about television and video games, I, I don't have personal experience with video games. Um, I, I We didn't have a television when our kids were young. We just didn't want to have that in, in our lives. And uh, some people have strong feelings about the value of television and, and other families the opposite. So it doesn't seem to, to matter very much one way or the other. Um, video games, again, controversial within the... Uh, the homeschooling and the unschooling communities, a lot of people find that their kids learn to read and, and get interested in, in some of the what we think of as academic things that we worry so much about as parents because of the video games. You know, they need to read instructions or they need to read stuff on the screen, and, and that's the eureka moment for, for some kids where they, they all of a sudden just start reading because they see a need for it, and that's, I guess... For me, I always keep going back to that bottom line. If, if the child is interested, it sees a need, they'll learn it, or they'll they'll ask for help if they need help. And um, I think we worry a lot <laughs> as parents about things that maybe aren't in the overall scheme of things such a huge thing to worry about. Kids tend to overdose on things, and and some of the things that they overdose on are okay with us as adults, and other times they're things that we worry about. And, you know, the electronic media seems to be something that we do get fixated on a lot. And if there's, you know, issues of wanting them to go out and get exercise and that kind of thing, well, that's a different issue that that we can address as well. All right. Well, Wendy, the phone lines are lighting up, so we'll keep taking calls here. Mm -hmm. Good morning. You're on the Thursday Morning Report. Yes, good morning. Great show. I just wanted to uh, share an episode of our child, uh, our daughter, when she was about two and a half. We started her on reading by uh, a little set of things that were called Little People Can Learn, which consisted of a four-by-eight card folded over, and on their front would be, let's say, her name. Open it up, there's a picture of her. Same with her brother and mommy and daddy, and yes was a smile and no was a sad face. Big was an elephant, small was a mouse, this kind of thing. And this kind of captured her attention. And um, to make this long story short, by the age of probably three, three and a half, we were writing little stories in her little book there, and, and she'd read them, and then she'd draw a picture on the opposite page there, this sort of thing. I guess my point here is that, um, well, two points. One, when the kid is really interested in something, they will learn it so fast, mm-hmm. okay? You know, we'd do these, she called them yes-nos, and then we'd do them for a while, and then she'd crawl away and go do something else, and then I'd put them away until she said, next day, Daddy, let's do yes-nos. And the second thing is that, you know, these things can start even before the normal, I mean, the ordinary uh, age of schooling their children. And uh, she was, like I say, two, three years old, and she started learning to read. And I just wondered if, if your guest had heard of that series. This came out in the late 70s, I think, in Alaska, called Little People Can Read. No, I'm not familiar with that with that particular one. But, uh, you know, I think parents, um, if they're tuned into their kids, they will find 
things, whether they make those materials themselves or whether they buy something um, that, like you've discovered. Uh, and when the time's right, um, you know, that will help. And I, I, again, you know, we go back to talking about unschooling and a lot of the uh, misunderstanding about it is that parents don't do anything with their kids. They just let them be. But, you know, I, I think as parents, we're, we're always actively trying to uh, encourage our kids to to learn and, and see the world in, in different ways and, and to see the world through their eyes as well. I mean, there's a lot we learn as adults from, from our kids as well, as we talked about before. But, you know, it's just, it really is a matter of, um, of readiness. And I, for some reason, schools have said you have to learn to read at a certain age and you have to do a short division before you do long division and then you get into, you know, algebra and whatever. And, and kids, if they're allowed to pursue what they're interested in when they're interested in, we'll go all over the place with that stuff, and they'll learn things in, in the, quote, wrong order. Mm. Might I ask how your daughters did with the math side of it? I was wondering how would a child ordinarily become interested in, in algebra and all the rest of it? They don't know that you're not supposed to be, <laughs> and I had to keep out of that because I went to school and had a bit of a math phobia. Um, the eldest was real interested, just in, she sees the world even now, I think, in what I would characterize as mathematical terms, and as does her father, you know, very sort of analytical thinker, can, can think different steps down ahead of herself, um, she was always thinking in, in those terms, always dividing things up, and, and just in life, whether it was the block she was playing with or the the baking she was helping me with or whatever, she would be five years old and she'd be the one that was doubling the recipe. I, it was beyond me. <laughs> um, her sister wasn't so interested. She, you know, she, she managed uh, enough so that uh, she says that's what calculators are for. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks so much. Whereas her sister, who is a professional writer, says that, well, she didn't learn to spell very well. That's what spell checkers are for. Um, <laughs> It's it you know and and I think it would have been the same if they'd gone to school. I'm a good speller. I'm I'm not so great at math. I wouldn't have had a phobia, but I I probably still wouldn't have been that interested in it. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I, people are different and people learn in different ways. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. You bet. Bye. All right. Uh, Nine forty nine. You're listening to the Thursday Morning Report right here on KZYX. Just over ten minutes left in the program. I'm your host Doug McKenty. I'm speaking with Wendy Priestnitz the editor of Life Learning Magazine, and the author of Challenging Assumptions in Education. Uh, We've got uh, a little bit of time left, so if you have a question for our guest, please give a call. That number is 895-2448, and I do have calls coming in. Good morning. You're on KZYX. Do you have a question for our guest? Hi. Good morning. I don't really have a question, but I'd like to um, make a comment. I belong to a local um, homeschool group, and it's called Homespun Homeschool. Um, people can find us on the internet, and um, we are really looking for kids over 12. It's um, most of the kids. It seems like when they hit that age, junior high age, the parents send them to school, and so we have a definite lack of kids that age. I have a 12 year old mm-hmm. and 12 um, year old boy, and we're really trying to find ways to connect with other homeschoolers in the area. Um, I don't know, Doug, if you have ideas on how to connect with um, homeschoolers, because we found with kids, unschoolers actually, we're unschoolers, um, the kids that go to school um, in junior high often have too many other commitments 
and they don't have time to just hang out and you know, go on field trips with kids that are unschooled. Right. Well, you know, it is a problem. Uh, It's funny, you know, during the summertime, almost our kids, they just do more. Like we get them out there and they they almost, they learn more because during the school year, you know, all the other kids are in school. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there's less, there's just less activity going on. And also the community generally offers more stuff during the summer times than during the school because all the kids are in school during, during the school year. So. Right. We found the same thing to be true. But if people want to contact us, it's Homespun Homeschool, um, and we'd love to hear from uh, more local uh, families that are unschooling. Also, um, I want to give out my phone number because I would particularly like to connect with kids over 12. Uh, My name is Patty, and my phone number is 459-6335. Where uh, where are you located in the county? Um, Well, I'm in Willits, but Uh our homeschool group... People are in Potter Valley, they're in Redwood Valley, they're in uh, Lake County even, and Ukiah, of course, and Willits. So um, we meet usually, uh, we always meet at Lions Park, second uh, Friday of the month, every, every month, second Friday at Lions Park in Redwood Valley. All right, sounds good. Do you, you have anything else to say, anything to, any question for our guest? I think that's it, and I just really think it's a wonderful way, thing to do with your children, to unschool them, and, and really kids get motivated on their own, and um, it's amazing what they'll learn. You'd think that things you'd never dream that they'd be interested <laughs> and would you know, really delve into. It's, it's really encouraging to see them do that. Well, cool. All yeah, right. Thanks. thanks for the call, yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, just a few minutes left in the program. Probably time for uh, one more call, 895-2448. We had a few other people that were trying to get in. Uh, Wendy, have you found that a lot, that the you know the kids are, do they want to start going to school in junior high or high school, or you know, is, it, is it difficult to kind of uh, keep it going through the, through the high school years? Uh, it depends on the kid. Uh, you know, we're seeing lots of kids who've never gone who are embarking on university careers, uh, going to college. Um, lots of kids do tend to get curious uh, about what school. My own uh, eldest daughter decided that she wanted to try school. And, I, you know, it's because I'm going around the continent uh, telling people <laughs> how great, <laughs> how terrible the schools are and how great homeschooling is. She wanted at that age, I think, naturally uh-huh. to figure it out on her own. And uh, so, you know, she tried it out. And uh, I, that does happen. I, I was um, not happy about it. <laughs> yeah. I took it personally. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, I do really believe that when you bring kids up to make their own decisions, to be independent thinkers, you got to, as a parent, live with sometimes they disagree with you right that's right and and that's a good thing (laughs) yeah well um time enough to take this last call i think so let's see what they have to say good morning you're on kzyx do you have a question yes um the first person that called in pretty much covered this but i i don't feel like i've really heard an answer yet and that is as simple as this in the real world, most people have to work for a living, both people, the mother and the father. I'm just wondering, this is, what this is feeling like is a really elitist kind of operation where if you are independently wealthy or you're trust fund babies, you can indulge yourself in this kind of activity, and it's sweet. You know, I, I envy you if you're able to do that. What about the rest of the people? 
Well, all right. Let's see if Wendy will address that. Uh, definitely my family was not independently wealthy. We were married young and, and had our children young in our early 20s. And um, we made some big financial sacrifices in order to parent in the way that that we wanted to do. Um, my husband would work some of the time. Uh, we started a business, which wasn't in you know the most profitable uh, realm. Magazine book publishing <laughs> doesn't make anyone a millionaire. Uh, we had no trust funds. Um, yeah, we're probably still, uh, you know, in, in as we're approaching retirement age, we're probably still dealing with that financial choice that we made, and we have no regrets about it at all. And as I think I said before, um, there are lots of single moms, uh, you know, on social assistance even uh, in some cases who, who are making this choice to, to be with their kids. And it is a choice. Uh, a lot of people feel that they need to have two incomes. And, and um, if that's the way they feel, then or if that is their, for some reason, their circumstance, then they, they won't do this. But it is the studies that I have seen uh, in terms of income um, suggest that people are making a financial sacrifice. These are not wealthy people, although, you know, people from the whole spectrum of, of backgrounds do homeschool. Um, it's it's definitely uh, people who are um, you know in in the mid to lower ranges because they have decided that that one person is going to to be at home or that they're going to start a business which is not going to make them as much money as if they had a a high powered day job. So it, it's just a, it's like anything else. I think it's a lifestyle choice. It's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of looking at parenting and and uh, you know how you're going to be with your kids. That, uh, that's been my experience too. It really, if you kind of take the money out of the equation and you make a choice that this is going to be your lifestyle, then you figure it out, you know, uh, that's what's happened with us. Either, um, only one of us has had to work. And when, when the times were that both of us had to work, then we tried to, uh, you know, juggle it so that one of us was home all the time. And let's face it, Doug, uh, you know, there are a lot of families right now that are uh, not working, uh, not by their own choice. Right. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> you know, opportunity to homeschool. So let's, yeah, take the opportunity to do some homeschooling. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not having to pay the money for the fees uh, at school uh, or even a private school fee or, or whatever. You know, that's another thing about it um, in terms of the unschooling. It's just not very expensive. Uh, it's not like you have to pay a lot of money for, you know, to hire the teacher or to or to buy the curriculum or get the textbooks or all of the, the standard things that make education seem so overwhelmingly expensive. Yeah, the clothing and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, you end up, you actually do end up saving money in that way, that's for certain. <laughs> anyway, Wendy, just a few seconds left, so I was hoping uh, if you have any concluding remarks and if you want to leave uh, some uh, contact information. Yeah, wow. Concluding remarks. Mm -hmm. It really is just about um, how we look at children, you know, whether we respect them, whether we like them, whether we want to be with them, and whether we are open-minded enough, I guess, to challenge some of the assumptions that we've been brought up as with as 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 people um and a lot of those come from that school system and and uh, maybe they're just not suitable now for the new world that we're moving into. So we need a new way of looking at kids and, and educating them. And, and for me, that's really what it's about. If there's another way that comes along uh, in the future that will build a better society and that will help respect kids in the future, great. I don't know of one <laughs> at this point. 
Um, you, you've mentioned lifelearningmagazine.com, and, mm-hmm. and that's a great place for people to... Uh, okay. There's lots of articles on there for free that people can read. They don't have to necessarily subscribe to them. Right. Magazine. You can get a, a free sample, actually, that I, I checked out, and that, that had uh, a couple of good articles that kind of uh, covered the spectrum. Yeah, I, I hope that, you know, it's enough food for thought for people anyway. That's that's really why I do this. I'm just wanting to change the world. Uh, right on, Wendy. <laughs> well, keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, Take care. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That was Wendy Priesnitz of Life Learning Magazine. That's lifelearningmagazine.com, author of Challenging Assumptions in Education, talking about unschooling today. I want to thank everybody for joining us. This has been the Thursday Morning Report. Uh, I'm your host, Doug McKenty. You've been listening right here on KZYX 90.7 FM, Philo, KZYZ 91.5 FM, Willits, and Ukiah, K201HR 88.1 FM, Fort Bragg. This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio, streaming on the web at kzyx.org.